Hello and welcome to another episode of Fikava Vetchet. The person I'm going to meet today is one of these people that I love everybody to every veterinary surgeon to meet if they are a little bit low. If they are asking themselves, well, why are we doing veterinary medicine? Why is it still the right path for me? We are not really motivated if we need some inspiration um, or if, as I said, we are questioning our uh, uh, the job we are doing at the moment. Um, he is a veterinary surgeon from Romania, currently the Fekava um, director for uh, Romania and uh, has also been the president of the Romanian Small Animal Veterinary Medicine. His main subject is urology and nephrology and all the activities he does and has done in the past, we will discuss as part of this interview. So hello and welcome to Bogdan Alexandro Vitalaro. Hi, hi. Hey, hey. hi, hi. so much. Thank you so much. This is a great honor for me. And uh, to be honest, every time I am, uh, you know, engaging in things regarding veterinary medicine and FICAVA and AMVAC. It's a big pleasure and honor for me, but this is also a personal issue and a personal thing, you know, being with you and having this interview together gives me like a very big load of emotions. And um, to be honest, I just missed that because we've done it last year, but it was vice versa. So now I'm the person highlighted and uh, it gives me some, uh, let's say, uh, difficult feelings. I don't know how to manage this. I'm a little bit... Uh, I think I think you will manage. <laughs> if you don't manage it, do it like me. Sort of have a nice glass of position. Yep, I'm here. I'm prepared. It's a Romanian good oh, wine. Romanian, Romanian white wine or is it also a Prosecco something? No, like it's white wine, but it's... Uh, I, I cheated a little bit. I have some sparkling water uh, as yeah. an additive. That's that's good. You know, Alex, we still have we, we both still have um, a task to fulfill, and that is to go hiking in the uh, in the mountains in Romania. And uh, okay, last year was not the best year for that, but it's still on my list of things that I want to take off. Because I think you are, you are one of the people, I mean, whenever I meet you, it's just absolutely no problem to start talking. I always walk away suddenly with a, two, three centimeters taller and sort of, again, sort of encouraged sort of just to become better, to, 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 uh, to, um, to learn more in veterinary medicine. And you, you, you are for me sort of one of these people sort of I love to sort of be together with on a, on a mountain hut without any radio, without any uh, uh, internet connection or something like just somebody to talk. And uh, uh, because it's just, I mean, it's just so easy and it's yet also so entertaining. And so um, what shall I say sort of for, for, for me, there's just so much of a knowledge game whenever I, I sort of had a chat with you. Mm. Well, to be honest, I just can't wait for those moments. I have been cheating in the last months, so I've been doing all the proper arrangements. So all you need is a direct flight to Bucharest. The other things are already done. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, that's fine. Well, at the moment of the the time of this recording, um, it's still we're still not allowed to to leave the UK, and that's where I'm at the moment. But uh, uh, we'll see over the summer. Sort of, uh, there will be more more countries that will hopefully open up, and then hopefully then... yes, yeah, hopefully. But, Let's talk a little bit about veterinary medicine and that's I think sort of what it's about sort of uh, with you. How was that? How, how did you get into veterinary medicine? Are you, is your background uh, veterinary family? I have no other relatives doing veterinary medicine. So it was like uh, really simple because I started thinking about being a vet when I was in, uh, in the fifth grade. So uh, really young, at 10 years old, I was already decided to become a vet. Well, when I was asked for the first time in my life, what do you want to become when you're going to grow up? I said, I want to be a vet, to be honest. Um, and that was in the English class. And to be honest, my, my professor, had no idea what a vet is because there was no word like vet in Romania for the moment. It was kind of a veterinarian or animal doctor. And I said, I want to become a vet. And she said, what's a vet? Well, a doctor for animals. She said, why? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay. that's really nice. And uh, well, I wasn't aware of how nice it will be but it is really nice, but it's also demanding. To be honest, it is a really difficult job, but it's a full-time job and I really enjoy it. So I started young. Yeah, so you, you, you then studied at the University of Bucharest. Yes, um, University of Bucharest. Qualified 2004 and, and, yep. and then you- 2009. Yeah. And I've been university assistant for like around almost 10 years and then uh, assistant professor and associate professor since 2020. And then I saw you started uh, being a visiting professor at universities in Italy, in yeah. Poland, in, uh, uh, in Croatia. Uh, how, how did this come about? I mean, that I find that absolutely that that's a dream came true because I've met amazing people all over the world, and uh, I had the, the huge honor to be invited um, at the Pisa University. There are some amazing people there, like Ilaria Lippi and uh, Professor Grazia Guidi, and I, I just simply received an invitation letter to be part of the Nephrology Master. And I said that should be a joke. And uh, that started 2017. And I had amazing, amazing moments during those times, of course, until COVID. And uh, then from Pisa, it was Perugia as an Erasmus professor, Erasmus teaching uh, program. And then I was invited for some nephrology classes there. And um, then I was invited in Croatia um and then in Zagreb University and then in Poland in Lublin uh with the VETC program which I'm planning to be more involved in because that's an amazing program 
and uh, of course that I'm... is that is where you are probably also then met one of our other interviewees uh, Magdalena, uh, Magdalena Kreinska mm. yeah yep. because yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I've met some some great people there and uh, some some great vets and we continued doing these exchanges and then of course with Zoe we've done some great things in uh, Thessaloniki University and um, I'm you know going to continue this uh, uh, thing with the universities but now I'm really really more keen to uh, improve my nephrology and urology um, clinic which is uh, taking a lot of my personal time to be honest mm -hmm. we're doing a lot of dialysis and uh, both hemodialysis and peritoneal dialysis where I'm going to start let's say kind of an internship thing with uh, Romanian vets try to develop more and more uh, the, the nephrology and urology in Romania because I, I'm pretty positive that our profession needs this to be more than it is for the moment uh, to be to be more developed than it is in the moment because I, I I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of let's say uh, vets doing cardiology neurology dermatology parastology and I'm pretty sure that we need also the both kidneys to be well and to be safe. And uh, uh, that, that takes time and takes a lot of involvement and a lot of, uh, and a lot of work. Well, I, it's, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit more leaning towards surgery rather than to internal medicine. So, I mean, Uh, reading through your book, for example, on peritoneal dialysis was for me again sort of uh, what shall I say to the force through internal medicine, and uh, I, I I think it was a great great read, and and, and for me something I need to uh, to back up on this on a uh, on a fairly regular basis. But then I mean when I when I speak to my to my clients about sort of internal organs. I always, I always say sort of, well, the liver is a pretty tough old boot of an organ. It takes a lot of beating. It can repair itself even with 15, 10% of the remaining you know, liver tissue sort of, you sort of get by, not, not a perfect, but in any case sort of the liver is tough. Whereas the kidneys, they are just such a, What shall I say? Complex organ. They don't repair themselves. They, uh, if if you have some 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 kidney damage, it's very often sort of permanent damage. Then the remaining tubuli in the kidney and glomeruli, they 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 they, they need to do uh, over take over the the workload um, from 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 the others which are no longer functional. So because of that, really look well after your kidneys and and obviously if the kidneys are damaged if you have a patient where the kidneys are damaged i mean sometimes due to poisoning or old age or so it's very limited options what one can do obviously you are with with performing hemodialysis you are stretching this um and we might talk then a little bit more about that but uh I think is my assessment of these, a comparison of these two organs, something you can relate to, or how would well, you see that? You know what's amazing? You can sometimes 
try to substitute the kidneys or try to help them by improving the lifestyle and the management and the food and then try to invent a new kidney. So you can invent a new kidney in some different ways. You can use the intestines. So you can do like um, uh, intestinal uh, dialysis. So we have some probiotics that will help to eliminate the urea from the intestines. So you can do some intestinal dialysis or otherwise you can do peritoneal dialysis, which is a little bit of surgery plus a lot of techniques and uh, internal medicine, of course. And it's all about volumes and numbers and temperatures and liters and uh, calculations. And that's fun because you, you just do some calculations and in and out and try to lower the urea. And of course, it's all about phosphorus and calcium. And that's technique and that's, you, you can learn that. But the, the first part is surgical, so that's nice. Um, there's where internal medicine and surgery, they come together. And of course, when you place the uh, central venous catheter, there's also some small surgery there. And um, then of course it's hemodialysis, which is an amazing substitute, but you cannot do that forever in dogs, unfortunately, because you have the problem with the venous access. And of course it's also the money, which is another big problem. Um, but when we talk about um, uh, peritoneal or enteral dialysis or hemodialysis, these are, these are also amazing techniques. And you can do a lot of tricks, starting with the food and supplements and decreasing phosphorus and try to improve the body pH. And that's, that's really nice. When you, when you manage a difficult case, I have a 19-year-old cat. Uh, that I take care of. Uh, the, the owner is a vet, so uh, it's, it's also a personal thing. And we started when she was 17 and she will be 20 years old in July. So if we manage to keep her alive for two more months, that will be a three year survival at a 17 year old cat, which is amazing. So you, you, you give them some hope, you give them some time, some extra time, and that's really valuable time for the owners. And that's, you know, that's what we're doing. Of course, I, I also do surgery because I do urology, but now the modern medicine tries to save as many nephrons as we can and less scalpel, more results. So the minimum invasive that you get, the better the results. So we do a lot of endo-urology these times yeah it is i mean if if, if uh, you see I, I, I mainly do i, I i'm i'm doing first opinion practice it's not that high end uh, uh, what you're doing but i often and, and 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 this is something i'm 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 charging for uh, uh, actually quite handsomely i often sort of make an appointment with the clients to talk if we if we know that the the kidneys are very compromised to talk through all the options uh, which we have on our hands. So, and that is not even going into peritoneal dialysis or into hemodialysis. It, it's more is that we have a look at the nutritional side and then we have a look at the management side when it comes to um, uh, pharmaceuticals that are at our disposal. And it's also so that um, I usually offer, especially sort of with, uh, with older cats, 
I always suggest to clients that they um, uh, give subcutaneous uh, fluids to these cats on a regular basis. And uh, 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 a lot of clients, I mean, I've, I've, it's, it's a very common thing to ask clients to inject. If you, for example, have a diabetic patient, uh, here, obviously, the volume is, is a different uh, factor, but I find it is uh, in a lot of clients, they, they, you can take them on board with that, and it makes a hell of a difference. I mean, this is, this is simple medicine, but yep. it makes a hell of a difference for, for, for these patients who are uh, chronically dehydrated because of, for example, a polyuric, polydipsic state of, of, of renal failure. Mm. Well, that's another problem there because we are used to give water in bowls. So we don't know the fact that usually they don't want to drink this water. So the, basically the cats, they don't, they don't accept easily the water which is not moving so they need a, a, a live water so they they need water to be moving and to be really fresh and that we have devices for we have those fountains or otherwise we cheat we just leave the water the tap water running all day long and uh, the cat will go there and will start drinking because that's fresh water for them and that usually uh, along with dry food that goes to severely um, chronic dehydration. So if you know how to diagnose the dehydration level and if you know how to manage this dehydration in time, that will be really, really, uh, you'll have a really positive outcome if you inject some fluids subcutaneously. And uh, now I'm really thinking about implementing some subcutaneous sports just for injecting fluids to be easier for the owners. Imagine that you have a 25 kilo dog, so that's not really easy to inject every day some liters of fluids there. For cats, it's a little bit easier. Uh, for older cats, it's a little bit easier also. And uh, then it's the phosphorus that we have to fight all day long. And uh, of course, the hypertension, the PUPD syndrome, proteinuria, but luckily for us, we have better and better drugs every day. So we have new tools and you have we, we have new supplements uh, that we are using on daily basis and to be honest water is one of the most important tools so we need to measure the water that they drink we need to measure everything we we also have a favorite brand of water in romania and we are really thinking seriously to create our own water for cats Okay, okay. Well, what's so special with that water? Well, it depends. It depends. We need some special things like pH, like sodium, potassium, and chlorine levels. Those are really important. Imagine that a cat can drink up to 44 to 66 ml of water per kilo per day, which is amazing which is huge. And if it's a PUPD cat, can, it can go up to 80 or 90 milliliters per kilo per day. So that's 400 milliliters of water uh, for a 4.5 kilo cat. So that's a lot. Imagine if, if that water has a, a high level of potassium of so, or sodium or chlorine, 
these are all toxic for kidneys and for heart also. So we, we need to manage those levels. We need to manage the phosphorus, the calcium. We can, we can correct the calcium into the water. We can correct the level, the pH level of the water. So if we have a, we, we have, now we have a partner and we want to develop this special cat water uh, for our Romanian cats. And that's, uh, we will have, a, let's say, water for PUPD cats and we have water for normal cats and so on. Um, I mean, one, one, one of the part of the, the protocol in, in renal failure cat is uh, phosphate scavenging. Um, but uh, that still sort of doesn't necessarily improve, or well, it will not improve the uptake of calcium. And obviously we, we, we need an equilibrium between calcium and phosphate, ideally. So um, uh, sort of how to achieve that, what, uh, uh, well, are there any special tricks? Yeah, or, we have, or what can we do there? Well, we have supplements. We have a lot of supplements and medicines and uh, on the market, you'll get a lot of formulas and a lot of drugs and uh, I, I really go along really well with uh, calcium-based phosphorus binders, uh, but not all the time because, you know, sometimes you have cats with high calcium and high phosphorus and they are not the best choice. So otherwise we can, we can choose Sevelamer or Lantanum-based uh, calcium uh, phosphorus binders, which are also good, but the problem is that they are not uh, used in veterinary medicine and we don't find them so easily and we have to use the human products and that's a problem uh, there are some aluminium based phosphorus binders but we, we don't use them because basically uh, they've been considered to to be more harmful than useful so i, I don't use them uh, basically we use some uh, some formulas of calcium based phosphorus binders which are really really useful and um, we have some, some of them are, some, are in some gel forms and some of them are fluid. The other one are just dry components, but we don't like them. And um, we trick them to, to, eat, to eat them. Some of them are really palatable, so they kind of eat them freely. If they do not accept them, we trick them somehow. In cats, it's a little bit more difficult, but in dogs, it's easier. So is this all sort of not possible, sort of one of the, the tools or the weapons in our arsenal sort of would obviously be peritoneal dialysis. Um, I, I think this is something actually, I mean, having done it a few times, I think it's, it's actually not, not such a huge procedure. If you sort of, if you, if, well, if, if you read up, I mean, on it, I mean, I have, thankfully, here it is. I have your book on it, so I'm well prepared. <laughs> so, but, but nevertheless, so I, I, I always think sort of also having sp uh, 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 spoken to quite a few human patients who do peritoneal dialysis on a regular basis to... Um, and to make themselves a little bit more mobile, because I mean, if you are uh, only depending on hemodialysis and you want to uh, go on holidays or travel somewhere, it is really complicated for human patients. 
where and 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 there if you if you do if you have the possibility of uh, peritoneal dialysis it gives you just so much more freedom and and and, and much further reach sort of what you can do and uh, uh, as i said once sort of the catheters are placed sort of and 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 they're working it's actually phenomenal i think what the peritoneum can uh uh, in how far it is able to take over the uh, the work of the kidneys. Mm. And to be honest, it's a, it's the third kidney. So we call the peritoneum the third kidney. So we transform the entire cavity into a new kidney. And once you have done everything well, the placement of the catheter, maybe some omentectomy, and you are really sure that the catheter works properly. There are no fluids, no free fluids subcutaneously and nothing goes wrong, well, that the sky is the limit. Because now the big companies are releasing some amazing products. We, we have the over-the-night formulas and with big molecules of sugar. And then we have uh, some fluids which are also offering small molecules of amino acids inside of the peritoneal dialysis fluid. So that's amazing. They, they feed the patient and they treat him in the same time. And that's really amazing because I've been using them. Of course, we won't use any any commercial names here on any uh, any brands, but they're amazing formulas. But these are these are now uh, human uh, peritoneal dialysis solutions which you use in dogs and also in cats. Yes, can yeah. that be used? Yeah. yeah. I mean, admittedly, also I have um, uh, used some kind of saline, sort of just to. Uh, 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 to have something, especially sort of in poisoning cases, to try to bridge the the the, the patient over. Um, uh, if we don't have access to um, if we don't have access to these human solutions, what would you say would be the ideal sort of solution out of our sort of freely available veterinary? That's really because that's, that's also in the book. I, I've been placing in the book a chapter about homemade peritoneal dialysis fluids. So that's a formula there, which is really simple. You, we, we, we have to keep in mind that we need to change the osmolarity of the fluid. So doing that is really important to add some sugar at the, at the formula. So we, we basically use either saline or ringer solution or lactated ringer, and then we adjust the level of sugar. So we, in order to reach the 1.5% solution, we just add some sugar to the solution. Uh, you have to be really sterile. And the other thing is just keep it for one exchange. So don't, don't prepare a lot of solutions for you know the entire treatment. Just do it for the next treatment. Um, imagine that you're using 60 ml per kilo per exchange. So if you have a, let's say four kilo cat, that's a 240 milliliters of peritoneal dialysis solution. So if you have a half a liter bottle, you just use that for two exchanges. So that's, that's enough, just prepare it really sterile. Now we have these double spikes that we can use in order to exchange fluids from one bottle to the other directly, which are amazing. And of course, you have the 60 cc uh, syringes. You can use them sterilely. 
and you can com um, combinate solutions in order to get your peritoneal dialysis solution. And of course, you then you can add some bicarbonate, you can add some extra potassium, or you can add some calcium-based solutions, and you can com combine or antibiotics if you need them. Or we have some special formulas of low molecule amino acids. You can use them directly into the peritoneum in order to increase the level of proteins in the body. Remember that they are small uh, molecules which are harmful, uh, harm, harmless to the kidneys. So they will not uh, hurt the kidneys. But they're safe for the kidneys and these solutions are especially used in dialysis patients. And they're, they're really nice. And I mean, now to, to sort of move on from possible first opinion practice to the specialist practice, I mean, with, with uh, peritoneal dialysis, um, how far can I take it before I have to consider hemodialysis? Um, I don't know, what is the longest you have maintained uh, a patient just on peritoneal dialysis before so you we, said, well, it's just not an option any longer. We have to think further or euthanasia. We have a cat uh, and there were like 14 months of peritoneal dialysis. And that was amazing. Wow. And I have all the With, documents. But not, but, but obviously how often did you have to change the catheters? Uh, we changed the catheter twice in this period. Once because the cat just took it out. Yeah. And second, because we had some communication problems and the, the, the catheter was blocked and we had to re reposition it. And uh, we've done it uh, under uh, uh, ultrasound guidance and it was really simple. And uh, in dogs, my longest patient was around three months. Uh, I only do that for chronic kidney uh, patients, which are really stable from other points of view. And usually I use peritoneal dialysis in small dogs and in cats uh, when we deal with acute kidney injuries. Uh, especially in Romania, we have intoxications or we have uh, babesia uh, and we, we treat them. So uh, that's, that's how we try to, to, to treat them. And of course, we have some, uh, mm, some medicine poisoning, uh, some, uh, let's say, iatropathies when they use different substances like, I don't know, uh, antibiotics or uh, uh, NSAIDs or other drugs. And uh, we need to, to treat them. And um, we, we've been using this like ibuprofen intoxication in dogs. We've been using peritoneal dialysis in small dogs and uh, we, had, we had a lot of, of uh, positive outcomes. Yeah. So then taking this step to hemodialysis. Um, the, I mean, that is something, this is an area, um, I'm probably mentioned that before when, when, when I have uh, had the vet chat with with uh, Magdalena that uh, this is something I think where Eastern Europe 
possibly that appears the way it appears to me probably has the edge it might be also an ethical issue because i think in the west there might be some concerns about sort of uh, uh, doing ongoing hemodialysis on patients uh, in how far this is sort of uh, uh, the right thing to do. But um, uh, I mean, there's hardly anybody who has more experience on, on, on that subject than, than you. Uh, so when do you decide, decide so it's the right time to do this? And 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 then how does it work with the patients? I mean, I admittedly I've never seen it done. I uh, uh, I again have spoken to people who who do that on a regular basis, sort of uh, as a human patient. But um, how is that with your your veterinary patients? Well, it is a little bit different because we are using hemodialysis usually from the beginning. We do not switch them from peritoneal dialysis to hemodialysis. So we usually have a long talk with the owners. Yeah. To be honest, almost all the decisions are financially based. So, of course, peritoneal dialysis is a little bit cheaper and hemodialysis is a little, a little bit more expensive. Uh, if we talk about peritoneal dialysis, the access is better and uh, you can you know, use it for a longer period. If we talk about hemodialysis, we have some issues. Still, we have some issues with the central venous catheter. So if we need to use them a little bit longer, we will have some uh, problems with blood clotting at the catheter level. So that's, that's important for the moment. Uh, we have done it the longest case that we've done. We have done uh, hemodialysis in. It was, um, I think around one and a half months and we had to change the catheter twice and um, then you know the fun part it was that that dog became a chronic stable patient and we stopped and we we were able to manage the the renal disease just by diet supplements and injections and that's it but that's that's an exception because the longest one after that it was like three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really, you you do that still as a procedure to bridge over the renal failure. It's not a permanent solution. Not a permanent solution, and usually we need to gain some time for the nephrons. Yeah. So we need to have some, let's say, uh, support. For, for those 14 to 21 days when the, when the nephrons are, you know, uh, trying to catch up and uh, repair themselves and uh, just let the cells uh, kind of um, remake the entire pavement and redo the entire epithelium. Mm. And that's what yeah. we're trying to do, to get some time for the nephrons to repair. That's, that's important. Yeah. We need to, to, to support the patient needs for those 14, 21 days. And that's really important to know. Do you do you use uh, then, obviously, I mean, it, it will be human hemodialysis machines. So do you get them secondhand from hospitals or, or how does it work? Or do you buy, do you buy them new or how, how does it work? Well, we are fortunate because we, we are, um, let's say we have some 
good relationship with uh, some companies and they offer us the entire support for our uh, for our machines and they they do a lot of uh, let's say a lot of work for free for us so we we have a lot of a lot of uh, service and um, technical support and we have a lot of people which uh, they, they, they also love animals a lot and they are really happy that they're part of this thing. And uh, yeah, they help yeah. us a lot. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And uh, we have some human doctors, you know, helping us also because they also have doc dogs. And um, to be honest, one of the most famous nephrologists, human doctors in Romania, um, he had his dog on dialysis with us. And that was an amazing experience. Yeah, because he had all this huge load of knowledges from human medicine, but when he came up with this situation face to face with his personal dog, with his favorite dog, because he had three, and uh, well, the entire medicine went down. So he was like a student, like a vet student in the first year, asking questions. And I said, Look, professor, you're teaching that so we have to you know try to develop all this mechanism and, and he said well this doesn't look like medicine anymore because this is my animal and that's mm -hmm. and uh, well we've done things together and we we've learned a lot of things from him and uh, that was at the beginning of our journey and uh, we are still really close friends and he comes and visits us and uh, we, we have a good relationship with, uh, with human doctors. That's it, it reminds me a little bit on the, on the beginning of veterinary dentistry, where sort of we quite often sort of work together. I, I remember sort of doing, doing, doing a general anesthesia on a German shepherd up in North Norway when I took the dog sort of to, the, to the local dentist and he was doing a couple of fillings, I think, on the... Well, on the teeth of a dog. I mean, we are, we're talking many, many years ago or so, but for him, it was so interesting sort of to have different sort of teeth to deal with. And for me, it was very, very interesting to see sort of how his technique was to, to do the fillings and, uh, and, and, and what sort of tools he had at his disposal. Obviously, I mean, now we, we have moved on and... Uh, and, and, and there's no longer quite the need for that sort of, I mean, people like Peter Farnkrug or, or Yeji Gabor and Anemic J, they, they have really moved it and pushed it sort of forward. So, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's possibly sort of in a similar level. Obviously, when we talk about sort of renal failure, we, we, we can't really lose, um, uh, miss out on the... Uh, uh, on talking a little bit about renal transplants. Um, is that something you are allowed to do in Romania? Uh, is that something you have performed? I, uh, uh, where are we there? Well, I know that in the States they have, I think, done that. In the UK, we are not, we are, we are not allowed to do so, but um, how's the situation in Romania? It's, it's less about being allowed. I think it's more than uh, being able to do that and looking forward for the benefits of it. I am not sure we still have some benefits doing that. So we, I, I have a colleague that has 
started doing auto transplant. So he tried to get the kidney out from the patient and put it back in the same patient. And it was just for scientific things. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm not sure we are going to be able to do that in, uh, let's say, next year. I think it will be really beneficial to try to do that in the next years. But we have a lot of things to take care of, like blood typing, autoantibodies, antibodies, a lot of things connected with, let's be honest, some disease that you don't test for. And uh, of course, we also have another big problem, the size of them. And, um, you know, you have to find the proper size of the kidney. Because, well, to be honest, if you have- Okay, a, in a dog, yes, yeah, possibly, dog, yes, yeah. Well, I, I, I saw it in a, in a cat, and they're all roughly the same. Problem. They're almost yeah. the same. But in yeah. dogs, you know, if you have a two kilo dog and a 45 kilo dog, that's not the same thing. No, so no. we have some, we have, let's say, uh, some problems. And I, I think one of the most important one is the immunological one. And uh, that, that should be our first concern. And then, of course, it's all about, you know, being politically correct and medically correct. And uh, that's another problem. It's, I mean, it's also a matter of consent. So, I mean, we, we, we don't have here somebody who can, who can give an, an, what shall I say, an educated and, and, and consent. Okay, fine. I'm donating my, my kidney. You have to see, okay, where do you get the donuts from? Mm. Yeah. So I mean, uh, one one um, project I, I I heard of in the in in the United States was that they did that in cats, where um, uh, they used shelter cats, and it was so that the recipient of the kidney had to adopt this adopt cat, cat. Yeah. Mm, to to have some sort of a but but it is obviously I mean it's it's a minefield it's an ethical minefield is that is it correct still. The, uh, everybody you speak to who has donated a kidney say it tells you that you don't feel good afterwards. You nope. have a rotten time because the remaining kidney takes a moment time to to adjust to it, and the donor, the the recipient, feels great, <laughs> but okay, they have post-operative pain, but otherwise they feel fantastic. Suddenly they can go to the toilet again, and everything's great. And the donor is not in for a good time, but no. obviously, I mean, it's transient. Mm. The, other, the other solution that I'm thinking about, it's the medical printing and the 3D printing. I'm not sure they're going to reach the level of improving all the functions of the kidney, but looking and uh, analyzing all these progresses that the technology has been uh, acquired in the last years, I'm pretty positive that in some time there will be some huge steps there. So uh, I think that would be a better option, in my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. With some stem cells from the, the recipient and uh, some new technologies, I think we can, you know, uh, have some amazing, amazing outcomes. But we'll, we'll see that in time. Wow, that was that was really a nice sort of walk through the whole thing. I will take that off as an hour of CPD, you know that. So that was, as I said, sort of whenever I talk to you, I always 
learn stuff and it's just great. So um, what are you up to now? I, I had sort of, uh, obviously, I mean, you, are, uh, you have been lecturing everywhere, sort of you have a, a huge online presence because obviously of, uh, uh, of COVID. Um, what, are your, what are your projects now? Well, to be honest, I'm 100% focused on AMVAC. And um, of course, we, we need to, uh, let's say, readapt to the new life of veterinary medicine in the society. And uh, we're waiting for the opening, the new life and things. And uh, uh, together with the AMVAC team, we are, you know, thinking about new projects. Of course, the Congress is off. So uh, we are thinking about replacing the, the Congress with some online events because this is a little bit way better. And um, of course, I'm doing some online teaching. But to be honest, I'm kind of trying to, let's say, have a break because having a break is good. And uh, <laughs> I need some time for myself and I need some time to be off the scene. And uh, that's, that's a little bit better this way. And I'm 100% I'm focused on my, on my clinic and on AMBAC. So uh, this is what, what I'm doing now. And uh, of course, I'm preparing some mountain hiking for uh, mm. summer. <laughs> mm. And we have a vet camp that were uh, usually... I know, I know. Our, our, our mutual friend, Robert Popper, uh, sort of, he told me much about it. And Juana and Robert, sort of, they took part in, uh, in that. And they said, Wolfgang, you have to come along. And, I am uh, already preparing the fourth, the fourth edition. So uh, we have some beautiful mountains to see. So... Uh, <laughs> I think I think you should not just make that an AMVAC thing. You should make that an international mountain camp, we and can. then international mountain camp in Romania, and then sort of maybe you see um, uh, uh, my 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 local colleague here, uh, Noel Fitzpatrick. He does it sort of every June that he does his vet festival. There's a combination of an outdoor event, sort of you, you, you bring along your tent and he, he, he and sort of a lot of uh, his specialist colleagues sort of give fantastic lectures. Then they have a rock concert uh, um, uh, uh, on the Saturday night. It's an amazing event. It's really fantastic. It's a good thing. And I think you should, you should do something like that in Romania. I think it would be That's a good thing, good idea. Event. We can do that. There we go. There we go. So if That's it takes off, I have the copyright on. Oh man, that's great. Um, Alex, thank you so much for this great vet chat. Uh, as I said, I learned a lot and I'm pretty sure that a lot of our listeners and viewers have learned a lot as well. Um, if you would like to comment on this episode of Fikava Vet Chat, or if you have suggestions for future vet chats, please email us on vetchat at fikava.org or use our social media presence uh, to leave some comments. Thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to seeing you all at our next episode of Fikava Vet Chat. Good night. Good night.